Hello, everybody, and welcome to our final episode of Not Your Father's Movies 2007 Western. Mike's birthday. Mike's birthday, slash. Um, <laughs> slash Mike's birthday. Having trouble with words. Uh, the final we'll of the how, series. The final the of the final. series. Not the, the final, series. final, the final of the series. Thank you, Dan. Good Thank clarifications. You, Vito. Thank you, everybody, for helping us through this uh, process mm. of, of speaking on a podcast. It's, it's, it's hard. a lot of fun. It can be hard oh, it's so and, much fun. and very difficult. Uh, but today, we are wrapping up our, our, our My Birthday series. I got a whole month out of it. It's great. You guys are so celebratory for me. <laughs> um, on, uh, on three fantastic movies from the early aughts, late aughts, I guess. The Assassination of Jesse James, No Country for Old Men, and There Will Be Blood. So big movies for all of us. Uh, these movies came to me when I was pretty young, and they, they introduced me to a whole world of cinema. They introduced me to uh, a lot of stuff, and I have a lot of deep love for them. Uh, I, I think we all have deep love for parts of all of them. And so uh, I'm really glad to be here tonight to, to finish this out. And so, you know, what we've talked about in the last couple of episodes, we talked about our nostalgia, we've talked about cast and crew, we've gotten into what we liked, what we didn't like. We've gotten kind of into the themes already on some of them um because mm -hmm. like these movies are weighty. There's a lot of themes in them. They're 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 tough, they're difficult. We're wrestling with them, we're wrestling with our own mortality maybe. Who knows. But tonight we're really going to get into it and to kick us off I'm getting into it. I want to talk about the Oscars a little bit. Let's 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 start mm. off with something real. The Oscars. So uh, in 2007, when these movies came out, there were two major contenders um, in the battle for Best Picture. There was not your uh, not not your father's movies and <laughs> contender. Every time, every time I do this, no, there was no country for old men, and there was there will be blood. And these two movies uh, produced by the same company. They were they were filmed. Uh, at the same time, in the same place. In fact, in in there will be blood uh, in the famous scene where where everything lights on fire. The billowing mm -hmm. smoke actually screwed with the Coen Brothers' production of of No Country for Old Men. They had to stop production for a couple of days until the smoke dissipated. So they were they were battling to see who would win uh, Best Picture, Best Director, the big ones. Um, we had a lot of like. We had a lot of performances. We had a lot of beautiful cinematography mm -hmm. going on here. And we had a lot of adaptation occurring. And so I thought it would be kind of fun to kick off this section to see um, who uh, who agreed with the outcomes, who disagreed, or uh, what, um, what we thought. As of, a pod, right? Uh, as a pod. If we got to select um, bet some of these categories, uh, the top five. So wait, if I... Could I give this yeah. a little bit of context? Yes, here? yes, yes. Please give Okay, context. so the actual winners of the 2007 Oscars that took place in February of 2008, Best Picture went to No Country for Old Men. Best Director went to Joel and Ethan Cohen for No Country for Old Men. Best Actor went to Daniel Lee-Lewis for There Will Be Blood. Skipping Actress because there are, uh, unfortunately, in these movies, almost no women of note. <laughs> these are very menly movies. Uh, mm. Best Supporting Actor went to Javier Bardem, No Country for Old Men. Again, skipping Best Supporting Actress uh, and skipping Best Original Screenplay, of which all three of these that we're dealing with are all adaptations. But Best Adapted Screenplay went to No Country for Old Men. 
Um, that kind of, let's see, let's go down here. Uh, cinematography. To, so, yes, yeah, cinematography score. None of the works that we're looking at were nominated. Art direction, There Will Be Blood was nominated. It did, it did lose. Cinematography, There Will Be Blood did win. Robert Elswit. Robert Elswit. And editing, both No Country and There Will Be Blood were also nominated, but they both lost. To the Bourne Ultimatum. Isn't that crazy? That is kind of crazy. <laughs> but that also kind of makes sense. I guess so. You have to so. give something mm. to Bourne. I, I, sure. I, yeah. I mean, like it was, bone, I mean, I like, it made so Incomprehensible much fight scenes much? <laughs> I dug those fight scenes at the time. It's the worst of the three, though, right? Yeah. I think it's the best of the three. Well, you it's, would. It's, it's the second you best would. of the three. It's... it's it's born, oh, born identity, identity yeah. and ultimatum and supremacy. Supremacy is the worst. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Does wow. he have the cool Mercedes like uh, Jeep thing in uh, Ultimatum? I think he does. No, is it or is that supremacy? Because supremacy has the really great car chase. Oh, maybe it's supremacy then. I yeah. love that car chase. That's, that's it's a really good ass. car chase. Yeah. But I do want to say that in terms of nominations, No Country and There Will Be Blood are both tied at that's eight. Right. Trailing is Atonement and Michael Clayton with seven, and then Ratatouille bringing up the rear at five. It's amazing. So that's a weird spread. It's <laughs> <That was> amazing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we also have the Diving Bell and the Butterfly in Juno. With four. With four. We've got Enchanted this year. We've got Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber. Mm, Fleet Street. Tied with Transformers <laughs> for a number of nominations. <laughs> Oh I my god! Transformers got nominated. Yeah, and two, only two nominations for assassination, tied with Three Ten to Yuma, American Gangster, Into the Wild, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's yes. End. <laughs> We've talked about this Oscars before. I we think. have. It's come up a couple times, but couple times. just so that's that's the context is that No Country walked away with the most, but there were some key ones given to uh, There Will Be Blood, namely supporting actor and, and cinematography. cinematography. Yeah. So with an, that, Michael. Wasn't it so, actor and cinematography for... Sorry, actor, not supporting actor. actor. Yeah. Regular yeah. actor, you're right. Yeah, so uh, so I put together a little poll here. This is an mm -hmm. anonymous poll to see how we as a pod felt about the uh, the wins here. Um, and so going from... Uh, let's, start with, let's start with best actor. So the nominees were Daniel Day-Lewis for There Will Be Blood. He won. Mm -hmm. George Clooney from Michael Clayton, which is a fantastic movie. Fucking rules. Seen it. it rules. Johnny Depp for The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. It's fine. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones got nominated, but for a movie In the Valley of Elah? In the Valley of Allah. Yes, he is very good in that. I've, I've never seen it. Um, it's not bad. It's not bad. And then Viggo Mortensen for Eastern Promises. So we have some uh, heavy hitting movies here. Gosh, the only, for me, the only real contender is Viggo Mortensen. Yeah, yeah. Like he and Daniel Day-Lewis, they're revelatory performances. It's just really that Vigo's is so much more quiet. Yeah. And that's saying something that Daniel Lewis is so loud that it cancels out Vigo Mortensen nude, having a <laughs> fight in a Russian bath with razors. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my, I'm so stressed out. Like just thinking of that scene. Um, but so Daniel Day Lewis won and drum roll, please. We agree. Four out of four say Daniel Day Lewis should have won. It's just. Yeah. No one said anything else. Then moving on to Best Supporting Actor, we've got Javier Bardem. Uh, he won the Oscar um, for Best Supporting Actor. Then we got Casey Affleck got nominated. I feel kind of kind of bummed that uh, what's his name didn't get nominated for this. From that was Dano. Oh, Paul Dano. Uh, well, Paul Dano didn't even get nominated, and also uh, Sam um, Rockwell. Sam Rockwell didn't get nominated, which makes sense. 
I guess. But like, he gets his accolades later. Like Casey Affleck, why didn't he get? Well, I don't know. Whatever. Philip Seymour Hoffman got nominated here for Charlie Wilson's War. Stupid, bad. Yeah, that seems that seems like we could have done something else there. (laughs) Got Hal Holbrook for Into the Wild. Really good. Tom Wilkinson for Michael Clayton and good was not even nominated Paul Dano like that's that seems wrong yeah honestly that seems wrong to me yeah he should have been nominated I think it's just that he's out 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 so drum roll we agree that Javier Bardem was the best supporting yeah he was so excited here great great picks right here from us yeah. Javier, Javier is right. Daniel Lewis is right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. those I are mean, no-brainers. Like, like, there's no argument. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you beat that haircut? I would, I would, haircut? I would have cut Philip Seymour Hoffman in favor of. Um, uh, oh, we just Paul said Dana. It. Yes, Paul Dana. Yeah, I might have cut cut him in favor of uh, Sam Rockwell. Yeah, I suppose so. Like but that's a supporting I, actor. I, I yeah. also think that there's some category fraud here. Casey Affleck should not be in yeah. Best Supporting he, he Actor. Be best, that's a Best, best actor. actor. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. not a su- yeah. that's not a supporting role. I, I wish I'd had the time to do the research on that. You know, well, it's not. He's in. He's in. He's in much. If you're going to make any argument, is that he and Brad Pitt are co leads, but he is in more of the movie than Brad Pitt is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's he's really what the movie is about. It's not really about Jesse James. No, it's about his Robert Ford's action. This yeah. is this. He shouldn't yeah. be here. Yeah, yeah Jesse James guess, is a myth that. Yeah. Like puts Robert Ford up. I like would have that's cut, what's holding up his his performance and what he's doing. I would have cut Johnny Depp and put Casey Affleck there. Yep. Johnny Depp does not deserve to be there for yet another performance in a Tim Burton movie with pancake makeup. <laughs> <laughs> but probably it was like they were they were probably like you know what he doesn't stand a chance. He doesn't stand a chance at Best Actor against. Uh, I mean I don't mm-hmm. think Johnny Depp yeah. did either. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. All right. So moving on to adapted screenplay, we've got No Country for Old Men, adapted from Cormac McCarthy's novel of the same name. We've got Atonement, Away from Her, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, There Will Be Blood, and uh, I put it here because it's not nominated, The Assassination of Jesse James. Just wondering if anyone thought that this should have won Best Adapted Screenplay. Absolutely not. Drum roll, and, and No Country for Old Men won Best Adapted Screenplay, so drum roll... We think There Will Be Blood should have won Best Adapted Screenplay. I think so, because the adaptation of the Coens, while masterful, while it does delete things that shouldn't really be in there, and it kind of corrects the novel in a way that makes the novel feel inferior, um, the work that was done by Paul Thomas Anderson to adapt, quote-unquote, oil by Upton Sinclair, Mm -hmm. make it about an entirely fictional character based upon two real-life people using... It, according to him, scraps of paper from hundreds of different sources to cobble together the story of another man who could have conceivably lived in history at this time, at this place, doing these things is a monumental achievement that is not really on is. par with two brothers essentially just writing down some stuff from the novel, skipping a paragraph, and writing down more stuff. Yeah. Sorry. So well, it sounds that, like what you're saying is that it's it's a great adapted screenplay because of how original it is. Yeah, <laughs> I am. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of again goes to your question of like categories, like yeah, what what makes it a great adapted screenplay? If it comes from a great work, is it really that great of an adaptation, or how do we how do we split these hairs here? Oh, I think the Oscars very very concise, very conclusively said that it's better to adapt a great work almost verbatim than it is yeah. to do any reimagining. Yes, for this category, for sure. Yeah, and I have not seen away from her. 
which was done by Sarah Polly. She has come up recently in an episode, and I would actually like to watch this now. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is. Um, all right, category four that we're caring about um, today is cinematography. We've got Robert Elswit, who won for There Will Be Blood. We've got Roger Deakins uh, for The Assassination of Jesse James and for No Country for Old Men. That's amazing. Two nominations in one year for cinematography. Yeah. That's incredible. We've got Atonement uh, by Seamus McGarvey, which beautiful. is a beautiful movie. Overwhelmingly so. Yeah. Um, and then The Diving Bell and The Butterfly for Janice Janusz Kaminski, Janusz who is Kaminsky. Steven Spielberg's favorite cinematographer now. Okay. He came up in the BFG. That's right. That's right. I knew the name was familiar. And so let's drum roll. We believe that Roger Deakins should have won for The Assassination of Jesse oh, James. Oh, good. Yes. I thought I was going to have to fight you guys <laughs> on this one. Okay, good. I think, no, right, I think wait, I read wait, wait, Deakins wait, wait, actually wait. says this is his favorite he thinks this, yes. this is his most beautiful work. So that to me is like, mm-hmm. if the artist is saying this is my greatest work, it's got to be his oh. greatest work. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, uh, it, yeah, it's stunning. It's so it is stunning. Yeah. And There Will Be Blood is, is incredible as well. But yep. I, I think yeah. that there's something like almost bolder in the way that, that Deacons did assassination. I, I think that Deacons is just coming at this with four plus decades of experience yeah. and says, this is how we should tell the story. And Robert Ellswit, while being incredibly skilled, talented and successful, simply doesn't have the number of credits that Deacons does. Yeah. He does not have the same kind of otherworldly experience that, that this guy does. And one of the things that was just so so shocking in a way about uh, about the assassination of Jesse James is like like you guys spoke about it earlier or last episode was like he uses sort of standard Western shots a lot of the time, mm-hmm. but he does it in a way that's that is somehow new and breathtaking. Yeah, it, it's it's phenomenal that he's able to do that. I think he's a pretty good, you know. Cinematographer, guys. He's pretty good at what he does. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Moving on to Best Director. We've got Cohen's who won for Not Your, uh, Not no, your Father's Movies. No for <laughs> Man. We've got Justin Julian Schnabel. Schnabel. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm pr- mispronouncing your name. For Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Jason Reitman for Juno. Stupid. Tony Gilroy for Michael Clayton. And There Will Be Blood by Paul Thomas I just really quick. I thought that. This is also category fraud. I thought that this was supposed to be awarding good directing. So what's Jason Reitman doing here? <laughs> oh, pow, pow, pow. no, he, no, sh- he shouldn't really be got there. him. You he really got yeah. him for that movie over 10 years ago. He deserves it. He deserves it years because he just did the new Ghostbusters. Ago. Oh, that's right. 15 years ago. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, all right. And we think that Paul Thomas Anderson should have won Best Director. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Three out of four of us did, so one of us doesn't. It's either me or Dan. Mm. I don't have to say. I, I, didn't. <laughs> I, I said I said PTA. I said PTA. I said PTA. I said PTA. But Not then I, PTA. I don't know. <laughs> wait, no, no, someone said the Coens. Wait, wait. For, yeah, sorry, I said the this, Coens. This is best this is director. For best director. Yeah. I I'm, I probably said I obviously it's, it's I said okay. Coen Brothers. <laughs> I'm, and I'm I apologize. The, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, the PTA, I'm the PTA stand here. Okay, it was not me. I, no, I, no, no. I mean, just yeah. Like I don't know. I, I, what, what apparently, is, like, the, so, the, uh, yeah. Go ahead. I, I guess this was only the second time that a pair of directors has ever won an Oscar, and that's generally not 
you're not allowed to do that. Like you can't have yeah. multiple directors nominated or winning a an Oscar. But I guess the rule that they kind of or the the loophole they have is that if you are an established duo, then yeah. you're allowed to have an Oscar nomination and win. Yes. Um, it, it, oh, an really? established duo per DGA or WGA guidelines. Yeah. Um, if, if you're not, if you haven't set that up, then like, for instance, I believe it was, there was an award, a DGA award that would have gone to Sin City for Robert Rodriguez, except that he shared directing credits with Frank Miller and a special guest direction by Quentin Tarantino. And because they yeah. were not an organized DGA unit could not be, could not be recognized. Oh. And so the Academy goes off of the different guilds and the different rules yeah. that they have. So you can't just go out with your buddy one time, make a movie and say you're an established duo. Like you, you need to, to consistently keep working together. You are two people that is organized you're and awarded as one. Yeah. yeah. I, oh, I like that because otherwise we'd have every movie would be directed by this person and this other guy. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it would be, yeah, there'd be money behind it and there'd be, you know, getting your buddies involved. And, and it's it's so strange though that they both share directing credit on this one because usually Ethan takes the the screenplay credit and Joel takes the directing credit, even though they both say, Yeah, it was both of us. I mean, if you look down at in editing, you'll see here that it nominated is No Country for Old Men, which is Robert, Robert Drains, which we know is the Coens. Yeah. That's their pseudonym. So they're they're both nominated for three different Oscars. Uh Four different Oscars. Yeah, because yeah. they're producers on, on the movie, too. That's right. That's so right. as a duo, nominated four times. That's crazy. That's amazing. Do you think they get along? <laughs> Not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. Not anymore. Because they Doug Macbeth. Wait, are they actually split apart? I mean, yeah. I know that they're they split apart it's for just, their... It's just I, I Joel. No, no. Ethan, Ethan now is uh, setting up a new project that he wrote with his wife. I don't think Wait, that there's is like this a real one. falling out or is this just they're going their separate ways? No one has said anything, okay. but they are definitely working separately. Yeah. That's cool. You, you cannot trust the Cohen brothers for anything. <laughs> That's a good point. Whatever they <laughs> say Based is on a false. true story. <laughs> <laughs> there needs to All be right. the Cohen brothers true like story told in a movie. It'll be like the Sparks Brothers documentary where yeah. where you can't trust anything that was We said. are Sparks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one. All right, all right, last one. Best picture. Uh, oh, wait, we didn't name them, but that's okay. We are split 50-50. Half of us chose No Country for Old Men. Half of us chose There Will Be Blood. There Will Be Blood. There I will chose be blood. No Country. Yeah. And uh, Dan, cheers. No Country, yeah. Cheers, No Country. I know that like, <laughs> no, like the been director and the film <laughs> usually go together, but I feel like as a just as a directing accomplishment, no country for old men. Or, I don't, uh, there will be blood is just phenomenal. Like all of the work and everything there. But as yeah, they as, really as crafted a... the best picture of the year. You know, <laughs> just this is the best time. Just the, the yep. best piece of art. That's what I oh, think. Oh, agreed. Uh, I, I, I think I, I think uh, honestly, if I had gotten up on the left side of the bed, I would have probably said there will be blood. Would that I don't you want had. to undercut this, but yeah. if you had gotten up on the right side of the bed, <laughs> I think that I think the time will be kind to both of these movies, and I think that much will be gotten out of both. But I really oh, yeah. think at the end of the day, despite the questions of fate, death, luck, chance, life, um, that are inside of No Country, it at its heart is really just an elevated genre pick, and There Will Be Blood is an American epic. That's what I mean. Um, 
Yeah. So there will be, there will be blood. Well, that's it, guys. That's all we got. So, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mike's like, all right, quitting the pod. That's it. <laughs> um, wait, all right. Where's, where's our list? All right. So that is our Oscar. Anything else that you guys want to say about Oscars here? Is there like a, some like okay, movie yes. from 2007 yes. that you're like, this should have been nominated Juno, for everything? Juno should have not been nominated for any of the Oscars. It that is it was amazing that for. it got nominated. It's incredible sure. considering that that is basically a very competent dramedy. It's amazing. It, I think it was just the, the hot button issue of adoption versus abortion that was happening in 2007 that caught the cultural consciousness that kind of swept it on this wave. Plus the character of Diablo Cody, you know, this ex-stripper feminist screenwriter who was writing this kind of story. I think it just had a wave of popular momentum. But looking back at this, these are the nominations. No Country for Old Men, Atonement, Michael Clayton, There Will Be Blood, Juno. There's one of these things that is not like the others, folks. <laughs> Uh, it should have been 310 to Yuma. That's what I think. No, I'm taking that. That's still Juno not so like the others. Is Juno maybe like the coda of that Oscars? I think so. And I think that they really wanted a, a nice, feel good movie because uh, there are four stone cold bummers on this list. Michael, Michael Clayton, Clayton well. is about corporate espionage so and corruption. <laughs> it's like It's like the best version of John Grisham. It is. It's it's like better than anything he could have ever done. It's the I'm not the guy you incredible. try and kill. It's I'm the so, guy you buy. I'm the guy you buy. And <laughs> uh, like atonement, which is like this this bummer. Like, hey, that remember that one time that I ruined my sister's life and then she died. <laughs> uh, it's not so, a funny movie. <laughs> not at all. It's very serious. But I just think that there's so many other movies that I would have rather have seen gotten a shot at this. Like, I think that even Into the Wild uh, is a better film than Juno. Um, hmm. But again, that would be five of the saddest movies of the year. <laughs> uh, that's what I have to say. Yeah. Can, huh. can we jump into the themes of these movies? Because yes. these are all really big movies and we have so little time to talk. About. I know. And we just talked for 20 minutes about like... About the Oscars. So Yeah, but um, look at this. Look look how many things I can highlight. Yeah, yeah. We've done a bunch. Um I don't know. Where do we want to start here? I don't uh, know. Just start up start with one. Start with one. Scroll up. Scroll up. So um, <laughs> Questions is one. Number questions 10. <laughs> questions is six, actually. Um actually. Actually. Oh. Hey everyone. Jumping in real quick to tell you about something I'm personally very excited for. It's Sir's Furniture. S-I-R-R-S, Furniture. Now, if you've been listening to our podcast for a long time, then you know about Sir. He was. We did the, the crossover with the uh, Before Sunset trilogy. He's been on a couple of our episodes. I've been on a couple of his. Um, he's a dear friend. And he happens to make, besides a fantastic podcast, beautiful, custom-made wood cutting boards of, of whatever flavor of wood you want and whatever kind of design you want. It's, it's beautiful custom work. And with summertime coming up, I know that I'm going to be out barbecuing. I'm going to be out going to birthday parties. I'm going to be going to a couple of weddings and it's sometimes hard to pick, you know, what to give somebody, uh, what to give a friend of mine. Sir's Furniture is your one-stop shop for cutting boards, charcuterie boards, coasters, anything that you can really think of that is handmade, handcrafted, and designed woodcraft. You've been using a small plastic board for years. You know you have. Or, you know, take a look in your kitchen at those dried out twigs that you call cutting boards. 
and go to sirsfurniture.com, S-I-R-R-S furniture.com slash NYFM and check out the wide selection of beautiful handcrafted wooden cutting boards that are on display there. Now, listen, let me tell you a little bit ago when Mike welcomed in his third child to the world, um, Jesse and I banded together and we we pitched in on on one of the big Bertha, I think it's called the Martha of the, the cutting boards. It was big, had a nice channel around the side and we put Mike's last name right in the middle and this board was gorgeous. I was upset that I didn't have Mike's last name so that I couldn't just keep it for myself. It was the single most beautiful cutting board I've ever seen. So that whether you love to cook, barbecue, or just need that perfect gift, Sir has what you need. So for 10% off, use our link, Sir's Furniture. That's S-I-R-R-S furniture.com slash N-Y-F-M. That'll tell him that we sent you. So the first question here is, uh, does Daniel Plainview love his son? Ever Ever love his son. Ever love his son. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, so, I, so I guess let's start way. off with like with like the small questions, like like just to just to give us like structure of some sort. We're starting off with like plot, character, specific movie level questions, and maybe we'll we'll blossom yeah. into full plot questions through them uh, and, yeah. and get to it for sure. So yeah, so, does Daniel for, Plainview ever love his son? Jesse, go. So I, I watched another Charlie Rose interview with Daniel Day Lewis. I don't know if you guys have ever seen these, but I watched this also with the gigs in New York, and it is kind of painful. Charlie Rose does not know how to communicate with Daniel Day-Lewis, like, at all. <laughs> and Daniel Day-Lewis, in turn, does not know how to communicate to, Chan- to Charlie Rose. And they are just talking over each other. Like, every time Charlie Rose asks a question, he's asking Daniel Day-Lewis, how do you play this person? Like, what, what is it that makes you that person? And every time Daniel Day-Lewis just says, I don't know. But every time he asks him, like, what does this character think about this? Daniel Day-Lewis has, like, a spot-on answer. And so there is this question, like, like, do you like your, do you like your son on one point? And it has to do with at the very end. At the very end, when yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis kind of... Bastard in a basket. Bastard, bastard in a basket. Like, that is a cruel, terrible way. But what he's doing says Daniel Day-Lewis is letting go of his yes. son. He's hacking it away. He's hacking yeah. a part the, the part of his heart that loves him. Get out, the, get away from me. I'm saving you. Yeah, it's literally the most narcissistic way to do it. But you are like shoving your child away from you, saying, get away from me. I, you have nothing in me, right? Which is actually a blessing to the son. In a lot of he's, like, he's like, bravo, Father, Son, yeah. Holy Spirit. You have nothing in me. Go. <laughs> yes, please. Like, that. that's, I think that's what he actually means. But, like, he's so wrapped up in himself that it's hard to even, to ever say something like that. So, yeah, he does love his son in the most narcissistic way that is even possible to love another human being. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Because there's moments of genuine affection. Um, between the two, genuine love and care, you know, him him stroking his son after he lost his hearing and he keeps humming, he keeps saying, that's enough now, that's enough. His greatest, I had, thought, had this thought, like um, Daniel Plainview's greatest strength is his voice. 
Um, he's a powerful man physically, right? But his voice, he's so compelling and driving. And he has this energy that, that makes people fall into his wake, right? And he used to use that on his son, um, that, that convincing, conniving, narcissistic air, right? And now his son is completely beyond that. And it's yeah. like the one moment that you really see Daniel Plainview completely impotent is he simply can't hear him. He has yeah. no control now. And you see him like helpless in that moment, holding his son, stroking his hair. He doesn't know what to do. His, his strength is gone. And yeah. later on, when, so in, in, this, in the speech with his brother, right, when he asks him, like, what about your son? And he says, and he, he takes this big, drains his glass of whiskey, right? And he says, I don't know. And you see like his forehead furrows and the veins are popping out of his forehead. He, he feels such distress about this. And he turns to his brother and he says, like, do you regain your sound? I don't know. Doctor does not know, right? It's, it's yeah. how can I open up the only channel I have between me and people, my voice, between me and the mo my most beloved, my son. And he has no answer for this and it tortures him. It kills him, um, kills him to the point that he sends him away. You know, you, you are such a source of pain for me. You must go. Ah. And that's, that's like his only regret in life, too, is that he abandoned his son. I've abandoned, abandoned my boy! boy! <laughs> oh, man. Oh, it's such a good scene. Oh, it's like the man. only time in the movie that he speaks truth. And he welcomes the, the punishment from, from Eli, right? Like, yeah. Eli's slapping him, and he keeps Thank looking God. at him because he, he knows he deserves it. It's not the only time I think he's spoken truth, but it is the only time he's admitted fault. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Yeah, maybe not the only, only time, yeah, but like because the I, only time that he's speaking truth that he never wanted to speak. Yeah. Like he, that scene for him and then the parallel of Paul Dano's character yelling, I am a false prophet and mm -hmm. God is a superstition. God is a superstition. The parallel between those two scenes where they're shouting and it's like it's like they are breaking free of their fraud and they are speaking their true inner beliefs. I oh man. I love both of those scenes to death. They're, mm. they're so amazing. Yeah. If, I do not believe he, it, but if you want me to say it, then I shall. <laughs> <laughs> then he's shouting it to yeah. the belt bowling alley. That's, that's um, there's one there's question that really I have about that. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. There's another really important scene though, where he does speak truth and, and speak truth wholeheartedly. And that is to his brother. Yes. Yes. When, when talking about like who he is. I have a competition in me. People. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Like he is definitely speaking truth there, but he's just not admitting a fault. He just accepts that as who, who he is. That's not I am this way. Yeah. 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 And you are too. If it's in me, it's in you. But yeah, of course it's not. It's not, it's not in him. him. It's not in him. Yeah. <laughs> not at all. He's alone. Da yeah. Daniel in the end of the day is alone completely. Yeah. No one like him. No one related. Oof. But so, so just like, so I, I have a question, um, at the moment, so it, like he, he's kind of descending through this whole movie into like being truly evil. Um, he's breaking bad. Yeah. He's well, breaking bad. Yeah. He's sort um, of breaking but it bad. Seem, it seems like the, well, so, so it's a question like, um, mm -hmm. a question that I have is like, was he always bad or like, does he become bad? And it does seem like a turning point. Like the major turning point in his character is like the explosion, his son losing his hearing. And that's like that's a beautiful point. Like, like the power that he has over his son is broken. Um, the power, but also the connection. Yeah. The ability. It, it's both. It's both 
like it's it's this jumble of communication and desire to to communicate with the person that you love he's, he's and a also narcissist. the desire to mm-hmm. well well like like that's that's very difficult to lose the ability to communicate with someone that you love even if you're not a narcissist no i know but that's why it's jumble that's why yeah it's yeah 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 but it's also like his power his ability to control and direct him and to sort of use him and and present something to people he wants to be seen as like a family business which is kind of interesting that's why he loops um, henry in as quickly as possible yeah, this yeah. is my brother henry but so so in that scene where he's talking where he, where he says he's yelling out i have abandoned my son i've abandoned my son like oh my gosh like that is brutal scenes freaking incredible um it feels like at that point he truly chooses the darkness um from that point forward and he's like laughing about it. He's it's, like, it's I've one, abandoned it's, my It's son. one of the most fucked up things. I don't think he's laughing about abandoning his son, but it's one of the most fucked up things that you can do, right? He's using a religious ceremony yeah. to gain an economic benefit that he would normally mm-hmm. not get. And he's right. going to undergo this temporary humiliation to rub it in the faces of everyone. Yeah. Right? Um, so that's it's sacrilege, number one. But I don't, I don't think, I don't think he's glorying in the fact that he's lost his son. It seems like grief. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think, uh, I, yeah. I, yeah, yes, I do agree with you. Um, but I guess my question is, so like after that, immediately after that, he gets his son back. He brings him back to him and yep. and all this stuff. And the boy just starts beating on him. Yeah. Which, Love you know, and, and it's one of the things that's really interesting is like, yeah. he never after, after he hugs he him never... and says, that does me good, son. That yeah. does me good. Yeah. And he starts, he says, yeah. all right now, all right now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like, so, so he's, he's corrected the fault. He's, he admits through in like a fucked up way that he's, he's done something wrong that goes against his own like principles. And so he corrects it, but it doesn't save him. Um, so like, I don't know. It, it, it makes me like, it seems like what I would expect is that by correcting the fault, you find salvation. That's what you expect in a movie or in a story, Mm -hmm. right? Like you, you like the, the guy admits his sin and then he gets like he, he changes his life and and it moves forward, you know, having changed. Um, that doesn't happen. Like he, he just keeps getting worse and worse. Like, I, I don't know that that seems it seems very human. Well, yeah. Yeah. OK. Well, I, I, yeah. Well, one, that's very human, but also like he, he went to a religious ceremony that is a farce. Like it's yeah. shown that that's kind of farce with with, with Paul Dana like throwing out a demon that doesn't yeah. even exist. Like I love that scene by the way. Like when it's like from the demon's perspective, it's like out, yeah, out, and like <laughs> it's following him throughout the throughout the church all the way to the end. Yeah. You know that this is just a show. Yeah, it's just a show. He's and, not throwing out her arthritis. And that's this is sure. another thing with the with the Charlie Rose interview is he says that that Daniel Plainview has like a lesser view of, of Eli because what Eli's doing is more dishonest in his view than what Daniel Plainview is doing, which is at far least, more honest. At least with Daniel Plainview, there is oil and there is money. And mm-hmm. everyone's getting the money. Yeah, and everyone's exactly. getting the oil. He's just getting most of it. Yeah. He's, yeah, so Eli is just a charlatan, just a charlatan, just, a charlatan, just making everything up. I, and he's going along with that for just a little bit. And even though there is a hint of truth, I think he can cover that up with like, oh, man, this is all just a sham for just a brief second. 
And I think too, like if you think about, um, especially the kind of complicated man that Daniel is, who's very greedy, very driven, very self-obsessed, right? Like remember his, his, when his brother starts to ask him, like, what about the boy's mother? And he sits and he goes, I don't want to talk about those things. <laughs> and he goes back to talking about himself, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So welcoming the boy back is as much as he had in him to give to somebody else. Yeah. But that was it. That was all. There's nothing left. Yeah. Like you came back. This fundamental issue is he still can't talk to him. And now the boy hates him. Um, that's it. There's, there's no, there's no chance for, for personal growth here. You know, he and, is, he is, his interior yeah. is as arid mm -hmm. as the landscape surrounding him in, in my view. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay. And last thing, in my opinion, that, that probably gets to the heart that differentiates this from other tales of a man falling into similar paths as Daniel Plainview is that I think he's not just faded, but it's like in his blood, right? It's in his DNA. This is who he is. He is this guy. I don't even think it's a choice that he makes, at least in his view. Like this yeah. is just yeah. who this guy is. He is this narcissist. He is born this way. And that's why he's clinging to that false brother. And there's so much parallelism between the two characters, Paul Dano and, and Daniel Plain and uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. Like, I love one in one of the opening scenes when they're first getting the oil out of his first well. Um, one of the guys, like it's like he baptizes his son with the yeah. like the cross or something yeah. in the oil. It's like the very first religious symbolism that we have, and it's with oil. And and I I, I think what this movie does so well is show. That these two guys. I just, I'm sorry. I just thought of like the ending of Gangs in New York, just like him, like giving the son the sign of the cross with the oil, and being like, "These are the hands that built America." <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Alternate sorry. ending. Uh, yeah, it would have worked. Um, nice. Yeah, uh, those honestly, these two, those two movies probably share a lot of DNA, but. Um, yeah, I, I feel like these two characters, right, they're almost like two sides of the same coin where they they are frauds and they are making boatloads of money and, right, it's capitalism and this, like, whatever you call it, like, revivalist Protestantism. Like, these are the two pillars that built America and they are... I actually think that PTA is actually step, taking one step further. This is called the Church of the Third Revelation. We call the two revelations the Old and New Testament, right? So calling this the Third Revelation actually puts, pushes it into a sect, like a, like a, like a cult. Yeah. And it seems that by equivocating a cult with the only church that's around, it seems that he's saying religion is the cult, right? And yeah, so I mean, have... there's no other religion in the movie, right? Like, no. <laughs> yeah, so... Well, actually, uh, just... The son gets married in a church to uh, Eli Sunday's The son gets away. At, at a church that is definitely not a church of the third revelation. The son that, gets away, that is the, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That is, there is one instance of non... Uh, Non-cultish. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I the son is, like, the only... The only kind of brightness in the movie yeah. right yeah, yeah son yeah. is the oh, only yeah. redemptive character or, or shining light or hope in the movie so that, yeah that yeah. that totally adds up um 
Sorry, that was just a clarification. I didn't want to. I'm sorry for ruining your train. I I also am sorry. Um, No, no, no worries. I have no idea what I was about to say. So shit. (laughs) It was probably the most profound thing I was ever going to say. But damn it. (laughs) There it goes. The sands of podcasts. I I will say I I was while watching the Charlie Rose interview again. I, I keep referencing this. I promise this will be the last time. (laughs) <laughs> but one of the most profound things that Daniel Day-Lewis said was the final scene was about extinguishing the last spark of Daniel Plainview's old soul with blood. I'm finished. Yeah. I, I yeah. Like, <laughs> and also the idea the that like fire will be extinguished by, by blood, like that he is some sort of God to be fed this, this sort of ritual that he deserves um, when obviously he's just like an ordinary man that, that was just like, a, he's, he's, he's kind of a monster, right? He's, he's he working is. in the basement, like he's feeding on bones, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's, he's literally, a he's in a palace. He's, he is a God at this point, ascend, like he has ascended above everybody else lurking in the basement. And it's such a, it's such a weird image. The um, in the alley. bowling alley that no one yeah. ever uses except for him because he hates people. Yeah. Son doesn't and after bowling sure. balls at people. <laughs> and after <laughs> Eli denounces his god, he becomes Eli's god. He you starts really, making him dance where to go I, and then I love him. that so much. I love it so much because it's so <laughs> funny. Daniel, no! No, Daniel, no! <laughs> I remember <laughs> laughing so hard as that was going on and then like suddenly like feeling just so sick yeah i I remember just feeling sick at the thunk Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and the brief hesitation that he's that you see in his face and he just does it yeah yeah Mm. but it's like the hesitation of one wondering if it's done i uh i I do just want to call attention again to the rewatchables podcast <laughs> <laughs> because the needle drop of slow ride at the end of there will be blood is masterful. <laughs> Genius. We'll link to that it's in the great. show. Notes. That fantastic. is so funny. It made yeah. my wife almost, my wife yeah. cried laughing. She like kept rewinding <laughs> to hear it again. <laughs> um, could we move great. on to, to yeah, so yeah, we're yeah. talking about yeah. Daniel Plainview a lot as, as someone that we can imagine, we can imagine living like his psychology exists. Yeah. Just, <laughs> Are, is the psychology of Anton Chigur or Jesse James, do these people come across as people or are they characters? I'm going to say the Anton Chigur is... Chigur is a character to me. Absolutely. Like, there were Agreed. a lot of... I, I did watch some videos like comparing him a lot to death. Like even that, that's why he has a bowl cup to make it seem like he's wearing a hood almost. Okay. Um, his own mm. hair is that way. And it's like... That's a stretch, but okay. It, it, I think it's just making look his like hair a is like his hair and the way he's dressing in black. I, the Cohen said that they gave him that haircut because they thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> but again, you can't but trust the Cohen. You can't, also. you can't. But I like that answer so much more than yeah, we wanted him to be deaf and that's the cow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like that super feels unappealing. Like a, a little too. I don't know. Yeah, I, but sure. Yeah, I did but, read that there were. There was a, a host of psychiatrists that watched like 400 movies and they all judged or, or they all um, tried to analyze like which of the characters were psychopaths. <laughs> and they found like 123 psychopaths in these movies. And they said that 
Anton Chigurh was the most clinically accurate psychopath. Oh. Whatever That's that means. Will you, will you hold still for me, sir? Will you hold still for me, sir? Yeah. <laughs> he, like, he is a believable psychopath. Right. And so that I, I bring that up only to say, like, is he a character or is he a real person? He seems to have, like, preternatural abilities, though, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's definitely like a, I don't know, like a Jeffrey Dahmer. Like, he's not a normal person. He's not a typical person. But, but I mean, he, but, he moves inhumanly fast and he has an intuition that seems... Um, otherworldly, right? Yeah, when, like when, when, he, when he comes across, I'm sorry, Jesse, go ahead. When he comes up behind Woody Harrelson, it's like, ah, oh, dude, how would you know? That or like when he, when he comes into Josh Brolin, Josh Brolin gets down, looks underneath the door. Llewellyn, I mean, uh, Shigur comes by, steps away, and then the yeah. lock punches out. Pew, then Josh Brolin's out the window. Then he goes around the block and he's running. And then like immediately he's shot. Like yeah. Shigur knew exactly what he was going to do. But like, there's no clear indication why he would have thought that right yeah. like there's no like chain of evidence that would lead you logically to the assumption of where josh brolin would be he just happened to be there exactly then and then the numerous times where josh brolin's trying to get away in the car and then it seems he keeps looking in mirrors you can't see anybody and then all of a sudden muzzle flash Boom. muzzle yeah. flash right everywhere he could he should be to get a shot at josh brolin he always is yeah like yeah. that's what makes him more of a character than a person he seems to have mm -hmm. no limitations he's an unstoppable mm -hmm. force right yeah and Josh and, Brolin is a very movable object. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like he might be like in his um, it, like when he interacts with people, he exhibits the signs of a psychopath, but still like like yeah, he seems more more. Uh, it's a wraith. More a symbol than a than a character. But a he person. also a symbol. It's almost <laughs> like he seems to be more not impossible, but just statist statistically speaking, improbable. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's not impossible He's, that he could have gotten to that window to shoot at Brolin from the alleyway. However, he is using a shotgun with a silencer, and he shot Josh Brolin from like eighty feet away with a shotgun and with got a him silencer. real good. Mm -hmm. Apparently, they invented that silencer, and it actually works with a shotgun. I mean, I don't doubt it does, yeah. but I mean, that's a really long way away for a yeah. shotgun to work. Like, like they invented the shotgun for the movie. Right. Makes sense. Which is kind of. Yeah, it Pretty bizarre. Yeah. If you build it, like, they will shoot it. Yeah. Um, or like the yeah. Uh the silencer, I mean. Um Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree. Like he's not he's not really it's like it's like his his superpower, he's a superpowered individual and his superpower is just really, really good luck. Yeah, he's like Domino in Deadpool too. Yeah. Or he's like, like any person with a superhero in any M. Night Shyamalan movie. Yeah. Just like twenty percent right. better. <laughs> you know, he's just twenty percent better than other people. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, and, and he's a psychopath. Cool. Okay. What about Jesse James? Also 20% better than most people about guessing things. But that yeah. kind of seems to be from just knowing people really, really well. Yeah. Like Jesse James seems, yeah, he just seems to like, like in a world without smartphones where nobody really knows anything. If you've been around enough people, you can start guessing and reading people pretty well. Yeah. And well, it, yeah. also maybe Jesse James was wrong on many occasions. But like he just killed them, so who cares? Who's to who's to live dealt the tale? I mean, also thinking about the way he, he he does it too, he certainly is not surrounding himself with people of an equal intellect yes, to him. He is mm -hmm. much more intelligent. These than are everybody else. Basically, idiots yeah. that are working for him. Idiots who are mean and can shoot a gun, right? Which is all you need in a posse, right? Yeah. That can hold up trains. But like you know, you see Garrett Dillahunt trying to lie. It's like, dude, 
bro. <laughs> like your life is on the line here, dude. Even Jesse James, even Jesse James, like you're lying so badly. Does that mean you're actually telling the truth? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, is it possible for someone to be this bad alone? Yeah, I know. Like, like this guy is. Do I need to? I guess I have to take you out and shoot you now because you clearly think that you're fooling me. And if you don't think that, why are you so nervous? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. That, that, he seemed he seemed real and he seemed vulnerable. Like the bit where he goes with Paul Schneider's uh, little dick, right? Dick little. D- dick little. He goes to, to beat on that little boy, right? Yeah. And then he goes to the horse and he like he like has that quick breakdown against the horse. Yeah. It seems that Dick is probably next. Dick is fairly smart. Yes. And that's yeah. why and I he's think lucky. I think that's why Jesse didn't kill him. I think he believed him. Which is funny because it was actually Dick that was a problem, and the one only yeah. one who survived in the end. Yeah, yeah, he got arrested. Or we don't right? know about. He got arrested. And yeah, he uh, made a deal. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, what about like his family stuff? Like the fact that he could have a loving wife and and be loved and loving to his children. I mean, and if you only come home every like few that. days and have a relationship with wife and kids, like I don't think that's that hard to pull off if you're like. Basically, a professional actor, which is what it seems like he is. Also, yeah, think about what he does. What, think about what he does, though. He only brings around his crew, who are stupid, and he consistently, constantly uproots his family. His family has, have have no real social connections outside of him. Mm-hmm. They're they're going to view the world as the enemy, right? Mm-hmm. He is the only constant in their lives. Yeah. So of course they would be on on on. It, it's a key tactic of abusers is to isolate and control. And that's what he's doing. And every time it seems like the counts people are catching on or life gets too good, in the middle of the night, they move. Right. Yeah. Sorry, Dan. They also say that he he was like faithful to his to his wife, that he never messed around or, or slept around. And I don't know if that's I mean, that could just be the, the, the legend, but he also apparently blinked a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Didn't see any of that. So he never blinked and slept around constantly. Gotcha. Right. <laughs> that must be non sequitur. No. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it's hard to know what exactly he was. Clearly, to to perform this much evil, like you couldn't have been a great per- have a great personal life. There must have been something off. Something like really messed up. Like I, I love the scene where he like cuts off the. The two snake heads, and then he's just watching them, you know, writhe around his arm. Like he's Wild. he's messed up, but yeah. so much of his life seems like he has control over it. Yeah, but he's just there's something like just off about his psyche or about yeah. his like what he enjoys or what well, it he. Said, it says he never felt bad about any of those seventeen murders. It's a lot of murders to not feel bad about. It, yeah. yeah, and also it yeah. says his children never knew his name. Yeah, yeah. Dad. Like how he was Thomas Cowell or whatever to them. I mean, maybe, maybe he didn't even say that. Like, cause he changes his name. Yeah. Yeah. He probably changed his name pretty frequently. So they just called him dad. And that's, he does not have a great relationship. He has a relationship where he goes up, he can hug his children. He can spin them around. He can kiss them on the cheek. And that is it. Yeah. I will say I hate it when my kids call me by my name. Like <laughs> yeah. every once in a while, my wife will be yelling up to me. She's like, Daniel, Daniel. And my, my little girl's like, Daniel. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> Shut up. <laughs> that's, that's not Daniel okay. Day. That's not Daniel Day. It's very cute, but stop that's, it. That's not my name. That's not my name. Um, okay, Michael. Don't since... bully me, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> since this is your yeah. birthday episode, there are there for the listeners. There are so many more questions There's about so these three movies questions. that I would love to talk about, but we are we are pressed on time. Okay, Michael. I think is, I, I think about? I think I think what we should do is um, how do we get here to these movies? This is a question that Dan asked. I think it's a good one. Um, and my response to Dan when he said that was the same way the coin got here, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> but really, how um, how did we get to these movies? Like these are clearly like I guess one of them is a neo western, and two of them are revisionist oh. westerns. But they're all in the vein of the West. I would say almost all three are revisionist. Um, I, I one just takes place in the seventies. Yeah, I think. Sorry, the late fifties. That's the difference. Um, well, that, the time period doesn't necessarily lock it down. I don't know. I I, I read that there was a difference, and I didn't go any further. Than that. I was like, huh, interesting. Someday, Who would have guessed. It sounded really I smart. Not really. Someday I will write the scholarly work on westerns. It hasn't written. Okay. Someday that will happen. I'm sure I, someone's written the scholarly work on westerns. Yeah, and it was wrong because uh, <laughs> it wasn't mine. Um, <laughs> What was going on in 2007, though, I thought about this a lot. Um, really, we were coming, we're in the midst of a, of a terrible war. Yeah. We're in the midst of a terrible war. We don't trust our institutions. We don't trust our figures of power. We're, we distrust literally everything around us, including our interpersonal human reactions, interactions. Um, we're, there's this whole generation of people that were raised uh, in the 80s, in the 70s, who now viewed our economic system as nearing collapse, which it did the next year. Uh, there's so much distrust and cynicism and anger towards um, institutions, towards um, any kind of government that all three of these movies are are kind of about that. They're either about the exploitation of our current economic system and its limitations and what it does to people, or they're about how there are shadowy cabals that are out to get people, or they're about uh, outlaws literally on the run from the long arm of the law and maybe how they're not doing so well themselves. That's that's my theory on this anyway. I've thought about this a lot, and that's 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 where mm. I, that's how I think we got there. This incredibly cynical, pessimistic year. And I, yeah, yeah. I, I think I agree with that hundred percent. Like everybody's yeah. like really pessimistic at at this point in time, and also, also I I almost think this is like a, a natural human tendency. Where if things have been going on for a certain point, you kind of want to naturally rebel against it and then create a wave of something else. And for the 90s and early 2000s, it feels like the way movies are, are kind of different. They're kind of a little more charming, probably a little more naive, you know, and a little more innocent. And then from 2007 on, we're getting grit. It's got to be dark and gritty. We got to be grounded in reality and the way things are. And now I, it's funny. I, I think now we're actually kind of rebelling against that a little bit. Oh yeah, we're we're sick of it. Screw um, Batman v Superman. <laughs> <laughs> there is yeah, there there is that going on now. But but then I think that's what's starting to happen. Like early two thousands nineties. Stop, stop. Just tell us what's happening. Tell us. What's going on? Let's look at reality, boldface, full on, and and we'll have that reflected in art and movies and reflect that in our history of Jesse James and and Robert Ford and who else, you know? Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, there you really do have like the the uh, the myth of Jesse James has been around for a while and different whatever. But like, I, I I mean, I read about it as a kid or whatever. He's an outlaw, whatnot. But like, no, we're we're going to tell the story of this really miserable dude, Robert Ford, who's being exploited by Jesse James as they run from the law, and he wants to get famous because he wants to be like this guy. And then he decides I'm going to kill him. And then we're going to get 30 more minutes of this movie. Where acting we, it out every act, night. He acts out what he did every night. Can't imagine. Like, mm. And then finally, he dies, too. Because nobody kills him. Because yep. mm-hmm. he was nobody in the end. Yep. Uh, what no great thing that Jesse took off his guns, <laughs> having previously gifted him a gun, and yeah. then went and stood on a chair with his back to him. <laughs> yeah. Wait, yeah. did did Jesse James want to be killed? Yeah. Yes. He yeah. was done with life, right? I, yes. Okay. That, that I think is, it was the last curiosity for him. That is like that's actually the way that that final scene plays out is 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 factual according to to all accounts. That's it. That's right. It's so weird. It it's is so weird that he's like, oh, that's dirty, and then stands on a chair to like fix a picture. Like it's yeah. so weird. Like why would you make that up? Yeah. And then to disarm himself like he does, it's just a really bizarre circumstance. It's like a suicidal thing. It, it is. And it's also like letting somebody else get like fame off of it. Like somebody maybe that you kind of kind of want to because maybe you had a like a, a sort of relationship with them. In this case, yeah, like an he, attraction. He, yeah. could be an, it could be like Roger Ebert said back two episodes ago. The cigars, man. Yeah, or, cigars. or it could also just be that like he's like had this kid under his wing. He wants this kid to sort of be like him. Mm-hmm. And in order to get that sort of fame, he has to do this. That's the only thing he gives him what, what he it wants. takes in these modern days, yeah. modern in the movie to, to make you famous because you can't rob trains anymore. I sense or, or your is he just like me have changed? Yeah. <laughs> or is he just like sick of sick of it? Sick of like running away and fear of the betrayal and probably like both. finally being betrayed? Yeah, and probably both. Of that it's too. Probably, it's yeah. probably all of it. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Because the narrator does say that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but the narrator we can't trust. You can't. You can't trust. The you can trust the narrator. You can trust. The narrator. You, you can trust. As far the, as I can throw him, it's the editor. The editor of the movie. They're like, you have a nice voice. It's pretty cool. It's always. Yeah, does that yeah, yeah, this question of like like when you're talking about these works of art, the question that always comes to mind is like how much is how much is society driving culture and how much is culture driving society? Like is are is this representing the you know, the mentality of the age or you know, were these artists trying to drive something or trying to to you know narrate themselves how they felt in the moment um and it's 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 so interesting to me because for me as a you know when i saw these movies and they they impacted me so much for me these cemented in my mind that we are in like a new age of cinema that like these movies are doing Mm -hmm. something that no movies have done before they're doing it in a more profound way it's you know it's robert uh roger deakins paired with some of the best writing and screenplay and most, you know, profound dialogue that I've ever seen. And to me, this was proof that we are in a new age of cinema. Mm-hmm. And, 
and yet it's so dark. It's such a bad time. It's so like, you know, it, it doesn't have, it, it has some hope to it, but it's not, you know, it's not a happy, happy ending at mm-hmm. all. And so I, I go back and forth with it where I'm like, is it a good thing that this is where we are or that, you know, that we were here at, in 2007? I don't know. I, like I, I go back and forth with it, with thinking that this was a great thing that happened in the, in the late aughts or that it represents something very sad, like a mentality that was very sad and very dark and very kind of, yeah, nihilistic. Like we we've been, we've been mentioning. I, I, I don't think, I don't think we're out of that. I mean, like, again, I, I, I don't want to get into it. I don't want to get political, you know, too yeah. political here or talk about shit that happened when I was a teenager or a young, young child. But um, the war on terror, you know, really influenced not only our perception of the world, but also the perception of those who make art. And that trickled down in a long yeah. ways. And then our recent political uprest, uh, sorry, our recent political unrest. unrest, regardless of whether you're on the left or the right hand side of the aisle, has been fairly traumatic. Um, for all of us, even on a small level. And yeah. it, in this age, it's become so, so much harder to be sincere and not be cynical and to be mm-hmm. positive or to be optimistic. It really doesn't feel like tomorrow's going to be better than yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, yeah, I, I think that's right. And, and that's why I was express two episodes ago at this point. Yeah. I was expressing <laughs> frustration with how Hollywood was because I saw No Country for Old Men and saw yeah. this was kind of ushering in this sort of movie, this sort of era for a long time. And I think we've stayed here. Like there have been exceptions, but like like things have been kind of sad in cinema like in order to be great like you can't be happy. is this the darkest timeline <laughs> yeah it's, 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 that's what our movies have been saying like yeah even look at the mcu like the way it all ended with thanos <laughs> yeah like yeah this was right <laughs> thanos <laughs> maybe that's what that's a popular theory or the like it's all gotten kind of dark yeah and like the idea of a charming, sweet movie, it's its always seen as, like, really naive. And that's also why I've grown to love, particularly this year, movies like Top Gun Maverick or RRR, oh, yeah. or RRR yeah. which is, like, a violent movie that also remains charming throughout, which is, like, really bizarre and not something that I'm seeing every day um, because I'm seeing that as, like, a, a little bit of a shift a little bit of like a, let's yeah a light at the end of the tunnel. You, you know what's going to change? You know what's going to change even. culture forever, guys? Is when James Cameron finally shows us the way of water. <laughs> we know the way of water. Everything will be better. All right. Avatar kind of started this shit. <laughs> it can lead us out. It can lead us out. It'll bring us out. Yeah. Show us the, the way. The way of Jim. water is the yeah. way to salvation. Yeah. yeah. Um. But I think I think unless there is a there's an absolute pressing last thing that wants to be said by anyone including yeah. the birthday boy uh we should move is there a last thing do you guys have anything mike i i think the only thing i want to say is thank you guys for talking about these movies with me um these are these are two of my longest favorite movies uh and one new uh new one to add to the list i, I really do love the assassination of jesse james um 
I, uh, there's so much here to think about, um, and to consider and to re-experience every time I see them. Um, even though like maybe they're the beginning of the end for, uh, I don't know, nice films. I think that was Batman Begins, but, um, I, I think that I think it was Schindler's are... List. <laughs> it was unforgiven. It was unforgiven. It was unforgiven. No, agreed. It Actually, was yes, it was unforgiven. Unforgiven. Yeah. These these guys come in the same like they're stepping in those in those footprints. Um, but uh, either way, thank you for talking to me about them. Thank you for talking with me about them. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. Uh, and I can't wait for our next podcast. Thank you for having oh, a birthday. Wait. Oh yeah, <laughs> anytime. Yeah. Yeah, for a whole month. Wait, we've got a couple of questions at the end here. Let's, let's, do, let's do, do it fast. All right. So, guys, are you going to show any of these to your kids? Um, I will be showing... Uh, I'll be showing at least No Country and The Assassination. Um, I think that There Will Be Blood is a, like, come home Christmas break freshman year of college. That's yeah. what I'm going to say. And I think that No Country is a great 16, 17-year-old watch... And I think assassination is about in the same same category. Yeah, Dan, I I might be surprising here. I personally, this might change over time, but I kind of see all three of them as freshman year of college type movies. Nice. Um, yeah. I don't know that any of them I feel ready to show. You know, sixteen year old son who's only five right now, but you know, uh, like I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that any of them, I am ready to show any of my kids at 16, 17 and that could change again, but I, I yeah, that's, the, that's all I got right now. Yeah. Basically the same. I mean, like you and Vita really aren't that far off. You're saying he's saying 16, 17, you're saying like 18, 19, it's off by like a couple of years. Uh, it's yeah. around there. I do want to introduce my or I do want to make sure they see these movies, but yes, not yes. till they're older. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's my be, sentiment too. It's gotta be way older. I don't know what exact, what age, like for my daughter, I don't think I will ever show her a single one of these movies with like my 45. son. <laughs> <laughs> she, she will refuse to watch. She will actively run away and cry um, for my son. I don't know. Like, it would be really cool to have those same conversations that Mike was talking about with No Country for Old Men. That's true. When he's 17. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. It, it'll have to be around there if it ever happens. It's also very possible it won't, and I'll just let them discover these all on their own. I feel like I could see showing my kids assassination of Jesse James earlier than um, No Country and, and There Will Be Blood. To a, to a degree, but at the same time, I don't know. I'm in the same boat. 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, older teens. 21. Older teens uh, into into college years. I mean, like, it would be great to feel like, yeah, if, if they haven't seen them by the time they're in college, like, definitely going to... And, and why gonna, would they have? Going to take a double feature. I mean, I mean, do you... Um, <laughs> no country and there will be blood. I'll be like, all right, now what, you understand your old What year was your oldest daughter born? Uh, 2016. Yeah, okay, so the best picture winner... Nine years prior to her birth, yeah, I don't think she'll have seen it. <laughs> I bet she won't. I think it'll be safe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I bet that there's going to be stuff that comes out when when our kids are are teenagers that we're kind of doing the same thing with. I hope so. Um, that we do. With I'm them. excited I, yeah. to see those movies. 
Yeah. What if they're all like Coda at that point? What if like oh. everything is just like Coda? I mean, like Coda's Juno. nice. Coda's oh. nice, but to be frank, until you made that that comment about Coda, I forgot that fucking movie existed. <laughs> <laughs> and we did like a two-hour pod involving that movie, and I forgot it existed. I also forgot about it. I feel bad <laughs> about knocking Coda as much as I have. It's a perfectly pleasant. It's a very pleasant good movie. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. It's just it's not good as good as something that is about death. I love death. <laughs> I'm here for the death. And murder. And murder. Darker. All right. Well, all right. Last question. Is this a dad movie? Uh, Jesse, starting with you. Yeah. Are these dad movies? Which they're ones of them? Movies. They're all dad. Oh, beautiful. Wait, wait. Are we unanimous in this? I'm I'm unanimous. I'm unanimous. Yeah. Like, yeah. even yes! though even though I don't like No Country, I don't I can't say how this is not clearly a dad movie. Yes. Yeah, I'm gonna be watching these my whole life. Yeah, yeah. This, uh, this I mean, no this, country is about the struggle. Yeah. Okay. This this copy of this book, okay, that I got when I was when it was 2007. So I was how old was I? I was turning 15 that summer. Wow. In 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 here is the stamp from my childhood bookstore. Wow. This book has followed me around since 2007. This book Beautiful. is one of my most treasured possessions. I got it the same year I got my copy of Watchmen and mm. I'm just going to carry, I'm just going to have this around for forever. It's still in like fantastic condition. I'm just, this is like, this book is a part of me. Um, it informs so much of how I think. And so does Cormac McCarthy. Like so oh, important. Yeah. No country for old men. There will be blood. And even the assassination of Jesse James. Cause I mean, that's, that came around when I was 18. It's about like my, my childhood adoring cowboys growing up in the West. Like yeah, all yeah. three of these, man, the fucking dad, things. I don't, especially this dad. That's great. That's awesome, guys. Well, you know, you know, what would be great is if 15 years from now, there's like another podcast called Not Your Father's Movies and they talk about Coda. I was like ushering in this new way. And there's someone like me who's like, this ushered in a new wave of shit that I hate. <laughs> <laughs> We're to talk about this kind of forgotten gem, okay? It's There Will Be Blood. All right. This is how I view the world. Just to prove that film bros will exist for forever and ever and ever and ever. <laughs> Oh, they will. <laughs> but to end this, though, happy birthday, Mike. Aw, Happy birthday. Do you guys have a cake for me? Huh? Remember that one time when... Never mind. Oh, uh, I do remember that time. Yeah, yeah, you mean last good. year when a cake came? Yeah, as we were recording came, your... That was great. Yeah. Come on, where's my cake? Uh, I guess none of us like... Tom Lawler here again. None of Tom us Lawler. like you as much as he does. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that... <laughs> from all of us in Not Your Father's Movies, I'm Mike. I'm Vito. I'm Dan. I'm Jesse. Good night. Thank you for listening to this episode of Not Your Father's Movies. Please let us know what you think about movies and our discussions on our Twitter at NYF Movies on our Not Your Father's Movies Facebook group. Follow us on Instagram or email us at notyourfathersmovies at gmail.com. Also, please consider supporting us on Patreon. This podcast has cost us a lot of time, effort, and money. Please consider contributing and we will start sending you monthly newsletters, our bonus WhatsApp episodes, and even an NYFM mug. We hope to hear from you soon. Lastly, thank you to Max Augers for our awesome theme playing right now and to Andy LaFave from Don't Dance for the remix that you hear at the beginning of every episode. Thanks again for listening to Not Your Father's Movies.